0: Very good morning to you. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We'll be reading from verse 10 to verse 13. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Chapter 6, verse 10 to verse 13. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to come to you and give you thanks. Lord, you are gracious, you are merciful to us. The Lord, in our time of need, when we cry out to you, when we realize how heavy our sins have been, Lord, you heard our cries. And Father, you have lifted us up and you have given us eternal life and you have put us together and made us uh, into members of this body. And Father, we come this morning and we ask, Lord, that you bind our hearts together, Uh, give us a heavenly vision uh, of the task that is before us. Help us, Lord, uh, to be true soldiers uh, of the cross, uh, to be mighty warriors. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, in the mid 80s, the president of the, the then president of Israel had an unofficial an visit to Singapore. Uh, it wasn't even broadly known that he's coming. And you know what happened? Just the news of his coming caused Malaysia and Indonesia to be so angry. You know, Singapore is surrounded by Muslim nations. Singapore is a secular nation. But we are surrounded by Malaysia, Indonesia, Brunei, and they all spoke out strongly. They basically threatened Singapore. that They will will cut off water supply to Singapore if we allow the president of Israel to come. Uh, That was back in the 80s. And when I was reading that, I could sense the animosity of the Muslims uh, uh, against the, the Jews. There is such hatred. Maybe in America, you don't feel it as much. Now, you go back 20 years. Now, that was the 80s. You go back 20 years, in the 1960s, you discover that this is really the map of Israel. Israel was surrounded by Arab nations, all they wanted to do was to push Israel back into the sea. Now, we're talking about prior to 1967. Israel was surrounded by enemies, and they were all gathering forces all around them. You can see, they are, you know, except for the Mediterranean, there's really nowhere to go. And Israel sent out spies. They had spies in all the different countries. They actually studied their enemy. They knew who the commanders are. They, know, they knew where the battalions are, how many planes they have, how many pilots they have, where do they go when they go on leave. They basically nailed down all those information. And then they discovered that they will be attacked. In fact, prior to June 1967, Egypt, Syria, and Jordan were amassing armies right on the border. They were conducting all kinds of exercises. But from all that they have studied, Israel felt that the only way to survive was to attack first. And so, they attacked. We had the six-day war. In six days, what happened? Israel took over the Sinai Peninsula. Israel took over the West Bank. And for the first time, Jerusalem was officially in the hands of the Jews after 2,000 years. They took over the Golan Heights. They won in six days. The war was ended. Uh, That was June 5th, 1967. Now they studied the enemy and they took actions. I'm just wondering, do we know our enemy today? Do we know Satan well enough? Uh, I mean, while we are studying this, I have had comments. Don't we already know About Satan? I went to Bible college and I don't think I know enough. Are we still going to be talking about spiritual warfare? I think we need to because I really do think many of us are unprepared. Israel is still at war. There's really no peace. Israel is still at war. And if you talk to any Israelis, if you go and visit Israel, you will find that the civilians, they're never civilians. Uh, the able-bodied men will always carry an M16 or a, a UZ submachine gun. They go everywhere with, with their, their weapons. They go to a picnic, they carry their weapons with them. They are never at peace. They are always at war. At a moment's notice, they can be mobilized. That's how serious they think about the warfare that they are engaged in. But you know, many of us act like we are not at war. Instead of fighting, we are frolicking, as someone said. In any war, we have to know our enemy. We are told that the most important thing is to know God as Christians. We need to know God. We need to know ourselves. But we also need to know our enemy. Because if not, we would be victims. Israel is at war all the time. We are at war all the time. But are we? And you know, in war, there are always casualties. And we don't like to talk about casualties. And we think about it, oh, Israel won six days. But do you realize that Israel suffered heavy casualties compared to the Arab nations? It's a small country. Did you know that in six days of warfare, 1,000 Israeli soldiers died? That's a lot of soldiers for six days. And that's why they say that they they couldn't sustain that war for long. Many soldiers died. 4,517 were wounded, and there were quite a number captured. These are Israelis. So in real warfare, there there are casualties. Now, of course, the Arab nation suffered much heavier casualties. In fact, Egypt, the whole Egyptian air force was basically wiped off the map in that sixth day. And many of them died. That's the reality of war. There are casualties. I don't like war. I suspect many of you don't like war. And you don't like to talk about war. And my daughter commented when I had this visual, I was doing it, that, that looks so ugly. But that's the reality. Our enemy, he is ugly. And he's fighting a war against us. Because in any war, we don't like war, why? Because even if we are victorious, there will be casualties. We also don't like casualties. We want to shield ourselves and our children from being casualties. You ever wonder why? Wow, it's good to be a missionary, but don't call my children. It's good to be pastors, you know, but not my children. Why? We want to protect them because when you end up being a missionary or a pastor, you're on the front line. You get shot at. In Luke 14, it's so interesting. When Jesus talked about the cost of discipleship, if you look at it carefully, it's in the context of war. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war if you want to be a disciple you have to realize that that's the figure of speech jesus used we are like a king sending his army out to war you better count the cost and he said if you don't count the cost you cannot be my disciple meaning we have to count our the cost that we have to pay we are at war with satan if we are to grow strong and become effective as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to factor this in, that there will be casualties, there will be bloodshed, there will be things we don't like. See, I, I think what happened is that we live such comfortable lives, we only want the comfortable. The moment we have to suffer, we take steps five steps back. The most important knowledge I talked about just now is that to know God. Second, know ourselves, but we also need to know our enemy. Our enemy, Satan, knows all about us. Do you realize that? He has a thousand and thousands and thousands of years to study us. He knows us inside out. But do we know anything about him? Just to give you a modern day illustration, i suppose most of us have dvrs at home if you don't know what a dvr is go back and google it what's a dvr instant replay all right you miss five minutes just play it back or you just tape it you know uh, and you can, can come home and you can play it dvr so so great but do you know that coaches have been using replays for a long time the good coaches in any sport they would tape the action and they will play it back for the team In the days of VCRs, they have been doing that In the days before VCR, they had filmed They actually trained their team These are the weaknesses of the opposing team And so I'm amazed, I was sitting there watching I don't play tennis, but I am amazed At the amount of time people spend Watching tennis shows, so many tennis shows And good tennis shows it's amazing how they start a the match and within 15 minutes, they have it all electronically calculated. How many faults, how many double faults this person has had in that match? They already counted it. How many unforced errors? How many aces? They have it cold and then they use that, they bring it back and then they train the people who want to be great tennis player. I caught one segment of it, and this coach was telling uh, the person who was videotaping him, you know, Roger Federer, this is his weakness. He tends to always do this, and then he will show a clip. I believe that's what good coaches do. They coach their, their, their team, their players. These are the weaknesses of your enemy. And when you hit this short, this is how you return. And you can anticipate how he's going to react. Knowing our enemy is so important. Aren't you amazed? I believe Satan does that. I won't be surprised that he has a DVR and he has us all taped and he has us all cold. This is how we're going to react, this is how he's going to attack. He knows our weaknesses. So to win at tennis, you not only need to play well, but you also need to know your enemy, your opponent, and you train and you train to counter your enemy. Vance Hafner said this. I discovered that a missionary, uh, elder missionary, Art, became a Christian under Vance Hafner who is a preacher from Greensboro, down the road. Vance Hefner said this. The church is not developing her recruits into disciplined soldiers. We are fighting the greatest battle of all time with the most untrained army on earth. If strict discipline is necessary in art and athletics, how can we expect to advance Christians, be advanced Christians, and stay in kindergarten? Are are you in kindergarten or are you advancing in your maturity? You're learning about how to live. You're learning how to fight. You're learning about the enemy. In the spiritual conflict we are in, to do well, we need to know our strength and we also need to know the strength and weaknesses of our enemy. And Satan knows all about us. He has a thousand and thousand and thousand of years years to study us. Someone said this, and I never thought of it that way. You know, I'm, I'm really, I suck at math for a long time. But to pass the exam, I have to memorize the formulas. And you know, I passed many, many years ago. And I was thinking to myself, this person was saying that, if you have a thousand years to have math down cold, probably you will become geniuses. And if you have 2,000 years to master your science or whatever discipline, you will be a genius in that field too. And you know, Satan has thousands of years of studying human nature. He knows our weaknesses. And so it is foolish of us to go and fight this battle with Him on our own strength and not know all about Him. But we know we have one advantage. The advantage we have is that the war has already been won. This is not a war that we need to fight to win. We are in a war that has already been won. Jesus, our commander-in-chief, has already won this battle. But you know what? Satan does not give up. A good example would be like D-Day. Everybody will talk about it, they will say, D-Day, the moment the Allied forces landed on the beaches in France, it was the end for the Third Reich. Germany was going to collapse. And you look at the Pacific War, the US against Japan, the, the most important battle was the Battle of Midway. When Midway was won, it was basically the end for Japan even before the atomic bomb was dropped. Calvary, we're going to be celebrating Easter, Good Friday, on Good Friday when Jesus hung on the cross and died. He basically satisfied God's demand. Sin was paid for, and Satan has lost. But he doesn't go down without a fight. He is still fighting. And there will be casualties. It gets bloody. That's the reason why he hurts missionaries. He kills missionaries. He imprisons missionaries overseas. It gets very hard. He closes the mind of the non-believers. So when you share the gospel, what did Jesus say? When a seed is sown, the bird comes and takes away the seed so that it will not be productive. That's what devil, the devil does. So he's not going down without a fight. In every sport, there will be casualties. You have to pay a price. No, no pain, no gain. You've heard that? If you want to master any sport, I, I mean, I come down and see on Tuesday night, our, our young, oh they have all gone. Uh, our, our young... Uh, Students playing basketball, and for there, for some of them, first time in their life, they have never played basketball, and they are coached how to play. You know how hard they have to work; they have to work so hard. They have to sweat. They have to learn. They have to master a skill. And in the same way, we have to do that. In every sport you think of, you want to master that sport. You have to put in the time and the sweat and the tears, and sometimes literal tears. If I were to pull up my pants here, you will see a big, sort of like a target right here. I got it this Friday. I've been playing racquetball a long time. But you know, it's unavoidable. Uh, when you play, uh, you know, racquetball is such that, uh, it's a funny sport. When you get hit, it's not, your, it's, not, it's not your opponent's fault, it's your fault because you're in the way. Now, I don't like that rule, but that's the rule, okay? And you get hurt, but to, to become better, you try to avoid being hit, but you play the game, but sometimes you get hit. In the same way in spiritual battle, we get hurt. It gets bloody. We will have casualties. And I think because of that, many Christians play it safe. And I'm not sure whether that describes you. I'll just wink it. I'll mind my own business. And we become selfish. We only think of ourselves. We don't think of the Great Commission. We don't think of the people next to you who have a need. We don't care. And some of our young people are just fidgeting, you know. I can understand that. You know, when I first came to church, I wasn't really interested. I was just interested in badminton. I remember those days. I come to church for badminton. Was I a Christian then? I think I was. But nobody explained discipleship to me. And so I understand why you're fidgeting because you're just dying to get out here to do something that you really want to do. And I'm thinking about the people sitting next to you when you are fidgeting. What are they thinking? Are they thinking, no, I better help this person because this person is wasting his time and wasting my time. Would somebody put an arm around why are you fidgeting? Wow, the sermon is not interesting. Maybe it's because you are dead in your sin. Doesn't it? You know why a sermon is dull? A sermon is dull for many reasons. Bad preacher. And I know I've been one. I could be one this morning. Very dull preacher. But another reason could be you are a dull Listener. And Satan has put a blinder on your eye and you can't see it. You can't hear it. And maybe you need a friend next to you to just give you a jab and say, what's happening? You know there's a Chinese saying, feed an army. Now this is my English translation, okay, of my Cantonese saying. Feed an army for a thousand days so that you can use it on one day. Is that a correct translation of the Cantonese or Mandarin? I think it's pretty close, all right? You feed an army for a thousand days so that you can use that army on one day when you really need it. But you know what happened? I think, for most of us Christians? We just enjoy the feeding. When it comes time to fight, Lord... I'm not available I just like the food and the fun, the fellowship and the frolic but don't tell me about the fight We are in spiritual warfare and to do well in a conflict we need to know our enemy we need to know Satan's personality his position, his power and his purposes And I think if we have that down, at least to some extent, I think we will stand a better chance of coming out without a big big bruise somewhere. Satan's personality, his position, he's called Satan. Now that is in both the Old and New Testament. And that's the Hebrew. Satan is basically a transliteration of the Hebrew, Satan, meaning adversary. Satan is adversary. Another dictionary says he's a superhuman adversary. He's not just your run-of-the-mill enemy. He is superhuman. And we find that mentioned in Job especially. You probably know it. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Question, Satan replied. See, he's always the questioner. Satan is mentioned there. How many times? One, two, three, four, five. And if you turn to chapter 2, it's almost repeated word for word. Another audience with God and another challenge. And Satan is again mentioned. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 20, verse 2, it says, He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. See, at the end of the Bible, when it's time to reveal everything, you find that the names of Satan, his personality is revealed. He is basically the serpent from Genesis 3. He is the devil. He is Satan. And he's going to be bound for a thousand years. The other very common name of Satan, this is Satan, the other very common name is the word devil, diabolos, the Greek. This only appears in the Greek, in the New Testament. The meaning of the word is slanderer. He slanders. You really sure Job serves you for nothing? There's no free meal, God. He serves you for a reason. Did God say that you will die if you eat the fruit? See, he's a slanderer. He's basically saying God is not telling you the truth. Both names, Satan and devil, tell us what he is like, his personality. But those are not his real name. Satan and devil, those are not his real name. His real names are found in Isaiah 14. It's most likely, this is talking about him. The reason is that that passage, if you will read it, is talking about the king of Babylon. But you know there is something about the Bible that the Bible has different layers of meaning, if I can put it this way. And so in Isaiah 14, God Isaiah was talking about a physical king. But all of a sudden, at the end of that passage, he switches, he talks about a being who couldn't have been the king of Babylon. And so what happened in Isaiah 14, you have, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. And that's the word we get, Lucifer. Lucifer. Old Morning Star. And he talks about this person, this real person who became so proud. He said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, the angels of God. I will sit and throne on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High but you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit, and you return to Ezekiel 28. Very easy to remember. Isaiah comes before Ezekiel. Isaiah 14, you double that 28, is Ezekiel 28. That's how I remember these two passages. Ezekiel 28 verse 15 talks about, it's actually talking about a king, a king of Tyre. But you know what happened is that when you read it, it obviously is not talking about the king of Tyre. It's talking about somebody behind Somebody who is greater than the king of Tyre. In verse 16, it says, "Through your widespread trade, talking about a physical king, you were filled with violence and you sinned, So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. So he's switching to something that is spiritual. And I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among fiery stones." That's another reference to Satan, how he fell. So we see Satan as Satan and Lucifer or the devil. Now, that talks about his personality. But what about his position? What kind of power does he have? Well, he is a prince. In John 12, 31, it says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world. You know why it's so hard for a person to become a Christian? Jesus said it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to come into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because in this world there is a prince and this prince will not let us go. He is a prince. He is a ruler. Ephesians 2.2 2, we studied some time ago in which you Ephesians used to live. You lived in his realm when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So what happened is that Satan rules people who are disobedient. He's ruling people on earth. Uh, Matthew 12, 26 says, if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Jesus is saying, he is a king. He is a ruler. Colossians 1:13 says, for Jesus has rescued us from Satan's kingdom. See, that is the wonderful news. Yes, he is a king, but we're being rescued from his kingdom. And then Ephesians six twelve talks about the different names. For we are struggling not against human beings. We are struggling against rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil. Now, you look at all those verses. It's basically talking about spirits, evil spirits, angels who became demons. They are in the realm of the spiritual. We are fighting them. Satan rules the evil forces or angels. And we get a little bit, we get a picture of that from Revelation 12, 4. It says, his tail, the dragon's tail, swept a third of the stars out of the sky. Now, this is the passage where it's alluded to. It's not clearly stated. The book of Revelation sometimes is a bit difficult to understand. But you know, the book of Revelation explains itself. See, sometimes we think the book of Revelation is very difficult. But if you would to bother to take time to read through the book of Revelation, very often the book itself explains itself. Now, who are the stars? If you turn back to chapter 1 and chapter 2, the stars are the angels, the messengers, either the pastors or the angels of heaven. So, in this passage, it kind of alludes to where demons came from. They were fallen angels. Satan deceived a third of the angels to follow him. That's how powerful he was. And they followed him. Not only is he a prince or a ruler, he is also a god in small letters. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You ever wonder, when you share the gospel with a a non-Christian, why is it so hard going? Why can't this person understand? Well, it explains here. Because why? Every time we share the good news, it's like there's a blinder before this person and the shutters are down and he or she cannot see the truth. And so if we go out and share the gospel with people without knowing this, without praying and asking, God, take away the blinded. Lift up the shade. Don't let Satan blind this person. Let the truth come through. When was the last time you prayed a prayer like that? Or do you just go right in and say, I'm going to share the gospel and it's going to be okay? It's not okay. Because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they will not be able to see. Satan is a God. He's a God who has his own church. Do you realize that? The synagogue of Satan, if you read, second, if you read Revelations, it mentioned at least twice. And now we have a church in, <coughs> I'm not sure if it is still there, in L.A., the Church of Satan. Literally, a real building with people there. And then he has his own gospel. Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. There are people who preach a false gospel. A lot of cults, that preach the Bible plus something else. And that is a false gospel. They will preach Jesus plus something else. He has his own gospel. He has his own ministers. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. You wonder why sometimes people can go so wrong. They can do such bad things. Why? because they are servants of unrighteousness, but they put on a cover like they are servants of righteousness. He has his own doctrines, do you realize that? 1 Timothy 4, 1. He, using deceiving spirits, teach things taught by demons. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family where that is real. My father sells my father sells everything that you need to be a good Chinese. Especially when you want to be a good Chinese, worshipping your ancestors. He has the Jaws paper, he has the hell money, he has Joss sticks, he has everything. And when I was a kid, I was stacking those things up for my dad in his shop. And I actually observed people coming in to buy those things. You think they are just foolish people, but we have very well-dressed people, people who come up in Mercedes-Benz, they will buy those things, they will buy a paper Mercedes-Benz to burn to their dead relative, hoping that they will get it when you think about it is that real or what? but people believe in that and these are doctrines taught by demons right? he has his own communion table is that surprising to you? We observe the Lord's Supper once a month. He also observed the Lord's Supper, but He is the Lord. The table of demons. So we talk about His person, His, uh, his position. Let's talk about His power. Is He powerful? Of course He is powerful. Second Thessalonians. I'm not going to go through all that. You can read that for yourself. He has all kinds of power. He has counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. And you know what? We are so easily fooled. When was the last time you were fooled? Wow, well, so and so performed miracles. Therefore, it must be the truth. It must be the truth. Not necessary. You go to any country, any religion, they will tell you that their God performed miracles. And on the last day, Jesus said, Matthew 7, on the last day, people will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we speak in your name and perform miracles in your name and Jesus said i never knew you hebrews two fourteen says since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who hold the power of death Do you realize that satan has the power of death and he uses that to scare us and i know I, I was one. As a non-Christian, so fearful of death. And he uses that to his advantage. Satan is powerful, but he is not all powerful. First Peter 5.8 says that he is looking around as a roaring lion to eat us up. Besides being a dragon, he's also a lion here. Satan is the counterfeiter. He counterfeits everything. He likes the majesty of God. He wants to be the majesty. And so whatever God does, he copies. Satan's power. And he controls rulers. He controls those in in the dark world. He controls spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Let me just share one real-life example with you. Maybe you would, wow, Pastor, all these are just uh, theories. There was a guy who walked into our church, uh, the the first church I passed. The moment he walked in, uh, we we were worshipping in somebody's home and there was a big cross in the middle of the living room. The moment he walked in, he wanted to walk out because he saw the cross. And we discovered Why? It so happened that his father is a part-time priest. Uh, The the word is medium. He would invite evil spirits to come upon him. And then he will perform this magical acts. Uh, According to this this young man whom we, we befriended, it took us a long time. We befriended him. It took years and years. And then he became a Christian. And it took some more years before he was baptized. But he would tell us, You know, the father will cut himself. He will go into a trance. He will invite the spirit to come into him. Spirits in plural. And then he will cut himself with a sharp knife. And you can see the blood dripping. But after the ceremony was over, you can't even see the scar. Isn't that frightening? That is frightening. And what was so interesting about it is that the more he told us, he said, and this was a fact that he told us, that there were times when the father couldn't perform. And the father would say would say this, now those Christians here, please leave. And I find that so, uh, so amusing, that when there are Christians present, he can't perform. Now isn't it a no-brainer? If he can't perform when there are Christians present, whose God is greater? I'm sorry, you didn't get it. <laughs> and so for him, it was a struggle. Even though he's, he, he's hearing all that, he's seeing all this, but the clutches of the evil one were so strong. It took such a long time. We, we, we agonized with him. And then he committed his life, he accepted Christ. And it took years before he got baptized When he got baptized, only his mom know. He told his mom. But when his dad found out, the dad basically abused him, punched him, and he lost his front tooth, teeth. That's how serious that was. But you know what I wanted to to say is that, yes, the enemy is powerful, but Jesus is more powerful. That in that kind of environment, I cannot imagine myself growing up in that environment, and my father invites evil spirits into his life. And I'm living under that roof. You know, the first time I went to visit him, I'm telling you, it's eerie. You walk into his living room, and it's filled with statues of idols. And it's dark. They burn the joystick, and you can see the smoke. It's all covering the living room. When I walk in there, I could sense the oppression But you know what? This person became a Christian. Meaning to say that, our God is greater. So we have to remember this. Dear children, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Yes, Satan is powerful, but he is not as powerful as God. So we talk about his power. Let's talk about his purposes very quickly. What are his purposes? He's a deceiver. He's a father of lies and he will tell lies to all of us. What are the lies? You can think about it. From the Garden of Eden, he's been telling lies. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He lies to them. He tells us lies. I hope it works. About, uh, works. Hooked into the moonies, remember? Sun, Myung moon. The guy who is a self-proclaimed messiah from South Korea has a big organization in, uh, in California. The rich place, they will go and then they deceive people. And according to the statistics, the people who are deceived are mainly, seven out of ten Moonies are from mainline denominations like ours, the Baptists, and non-denominations. And he worked. This guy, Chris Alkin, was drawn into this cult for seven long years. So much so that his parents want to kidnap him, deprogram him. And he learned so much as he was studying the organization, and he was hooked into it. He realized that he was deceived. You know, the Moonies have their own Bible called the Third Testament. Jesus died, but only spiritually. He didn't rise bodily. There is no resurrection, and moon is the present day Jesus Christ. That's what they teach. He deceives us. The God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers. You know why things happen in our church lately? It happened to Andy, it happened to Jared. It's deception. Clear and simple. They were deceived that it's okay. What they do is all right. Will not be caught. Nobody will know. But God knows. And now we found out. And Satan tells us lies. I don't know what we are into. What he has deceived some of us. But the lies are always the same way. You will never be caught. You can cheat on exam. You will not be caught. You will never be expelled from school you'll be okay it's okay to steal music it's okay to sleep around it's okay not to get married try it out first many 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 these are all deceptions satan has many years to learn his skills the great deceiver has become also the great preventer of becoming a christian for many people satan deceived adam and we call this a doubt factor. I hope you can see this. The God loves factor. suffering. Why do bad that? things happen to good people? Does my life make a difference? Does God even have a purpose for me? Why does everyone else look so happy? Does God really care about me? Why me? Does anybody love me? Will I go to heaven? Why can't I trust anyone? Why now? When will this pain end? Are you even listening? Why can't I do anything Do right? you even care? Anyone miss me when I'm gone? He accuses us. He puts, I believe. Doubt. Help my own. he puts doubt in our mind. The doubt factor. Do you ever think like that? God doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. I, I don't have a life partner. Why? Because he doesn't love me. Uh, what, is, what is so harmful? Just a little lie, a little act, a little thought. Oh, you fail big time. You are useless. God's not going to use you again. You are a liar. And those are the things that probably Jared is going through right now, thinking in his mind. He, 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 he deceives us, and once we are deceived, he accuses us. See, God forgives us when there is genuine repentance. And Satan deceives us into thinking that there will be no repentance. Revelations 12, 10 says, for the accuser of our brothers, who accuses us them and us before god day and night that's what he does he accuses us of wrong satan is the great deceiver he's a great divider he got a third of the angels of in, in heaven to follow him he divides heaven and he's in the business of dividing saints and i believe that over jared's situation he probably is dividing some of us well wow, we should be gracious we should show grace. No, no grace. We have to be hard. That's a division. Differences of opinion. Uh, we will see division within the church. Those who want to help him and those who want to stone him. He often gets into the hearts and minds of unsuspecting Christians who may be very loose with their tongue and become unsensitive, insensitive to people. You know, some time ago, that there, there was a, a disagreement between two ladies in a church. Very much like Paul, what Paul had to, de- to deal with in the book of Philippians, the two ladies, Judea and Syndicate, two great workers. They work hard for with Paul, but they can't get along with one another. And so, in this church, these two ladies couldn't get along. The pastor called one of the ladies, "Why don't you come back to church? You can be in a different ministry. You don't have to see this lady." And you know what this lady said i will never come back to this church again because of that lady so petty things divide us and satan divides he loves to divide us someone said this let me quote petty things keep the saints from enjoying one another an irate woman told me she was never coming back to church because i had not preached a mother's day sermon I hope I'm not their pastor. Another man stopped attending because we rearranged the order of service and did not open with the doxology. A member sulked for weeks because an announcement she wanted made was not included in the bulletin by mistake. Is it any wonder pastors resigned and all that? You can just read on. He loves to divide us. And if we are not careful and insensitive, he divides us. He seeks to destroy us directly or indirectly. Directly by physical, killing us, allowing diseases to come, giving us diseases. We see that Job's disease was caused by Satan. So some diseases are caused by him. That is directly. Satan, there was a story that Satan was auctioning some of his tools at a garage sale and there was hate, envy, jealousy, and greed. They were all spread out on tables. And then there was a small wedge-shaped instrument to one side, but it's more expensive than all the rest. And so someone asked Satan, what is that? And Satan said, that is discouragement. And he explained that the moment discouragement pries open a human heart, every other sin gets in discouragement will allow all the rest to come in. I just came back from Texas in December. A pastor was so discouraged. It's not because of any sin. He was so discouraged, he committed suicide. He's been in that particular church for 20 over years. Discouragement leads to suicide. We are in a real spiritual battle. And so Satan is a deceiver. He's a divider. He's a destroyer. And that's the name, Apollyon, destroyer. In Revelation uh, nine, eleven, he loves to destroy us. Very quickly, this is a summary. This is the fall that we have to face. But you know what? We are more than able to overcome because in Revelation 17, 14 says, they will make war against the Lamb, which is Jesus, but the Lamb will overcome them because He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And more than that, we have become overcomers. In 1 John 5, 4 to 5, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. We are victors, basically, that's the word. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is that that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in Romans 8:37, we actually sang that just now in one of the hymns. No, in all this, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Brothers and sisters, He, with His strength, we can overcome. We will face difficulties, there would be injuries, uh, we would have battle wounds. But everything is given to us. Why? So that God can produce gold in our life. But Satan is using that to defeat us. But God is allowing that to do good for us. Let's stand together and see this and we'll have the closing song. Those are the lies. thank you that in Christ, Lord, we are new creatures. We are given new natures. And with the new natures, Father, that we don't have to follow the old way, that we can put on the Lord Jesus Christ who is our armour. And so, Father, we pray this day that you give us the grace and the willingness to surrender our lives completely to you and to allow you to live through us, and so that the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ can be seen in us each day. We pray this in His precious name. Amen.